Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series, novels, and films. For this episode, when darkness falls and whales come down the hall, who are you gonna call? That's right, we're talking Ghostbusters. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Ford, joined as always by Andrew Knuckles. Hey, how's it going? And Joel Killingsworth. Hello! So guys, uh, before we jump into the meat of this episode, what are you watching right now? I'll start with Andrew. Start with me? Oh, okay. Because last time you were just, you know... There was never a last time. This is the first time. You're right, there is. We've Well, okay, yeah, sure. Welcome to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, this... Currently this week, um, we're... We're watching Comey Can't Communicate, which is an anime um, about a girl that has a social anxiety issue to where she can't really, like, communicate with others very well. And it's it's super wholesome. It's just a slice of life comedy of essentially her trying to make friends. And, of course, all the friends that she tries to make are very quirky as well. And they all have their own little, you know, personality things and that kind of stuff. It's really fun. This sounds kind of like the anime version of Sesame Street. I mean, sure. Or maybe maybe Winnie the Pooh. I, I mean... Yeah. Tried, true, successful formula. It's been a very long time since I've seen Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, all the characters have various forms of mental, um, wow, not illness. Thank you. Not disability. I could just blank there for a moment. Anyways, (laughs) moving on. Is that all you're watching? Uh, Pretty much for right. I mean, the only other thing that I'm really looking forward to is um, the Cowboy Bebop Netflix show coming out soon. Are you looking forward to that, really? I I am looking forward to watching it and creating judgment as I watch it. Yes. Cautiously optimistic. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, Joel. I am trying to catch up with Critical Role season two. So that is a basically a D&D game played live by voice actors. Uh, So it's not necessarily the kind of D&D game that you would see at a, you know, a game table at your local game store. It's very high production quality, and uh, the actors do a really good job making everything really entertaining. They just released the first couple of episodes of their third campaign, season three, and so I'm trying to get caught up to where I can actually watch that. You know, I really was going to make a joke about how if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what Critical Role is, I don't know what Venn diagram that could possibly be. And then I looked over and I saw Andrew. I was like, oh. It's right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am not a D&D player. Uh, I've played one singular campaign of D&D in my entire life, and I enjoyed it. It was definitely a lot of fun, but I've never really been a big RPG kind of guy. I mean, I'm really not a D&D player either, but I still know what Critical Role is just because I exist on the Internet. Yeah, well, I just I don't really watch Twitch channels at all unless it's like League of Legends streaming. That's about as far as I go. And I will say that I didn't really get the appeal of watching D&D Other played. People. Yeah. Until I started using it as a tool for picking up techniques, right? Because I, I've yeah. been DMing my own game for the last couple of years and trying to figure out, okay, I'm trying to get better at this. I'm trying to provide the best possible experience I can for my players. What are some of the people that do this kind of at a professional level do? What are, what yeah. are, the, what are the sort of techniques they employ? Yeah. Well, and, and, and like for that kind of stuff, it's, it's really cool because it is always really fun to see how other people play the exact same game that you play and and just how they do it differently. Yeah. So what are what are you watching and or 
looking forward to, Stephen? I'm not watching a thing. You know it. It's me. It's a little YouTube. <laughs> the the one that actively um, doesn't watch things that are recommended to him, unless it's assigned by the podcast. By other people's <laughs> homework. <laughs> by other people. No, I mean, you know, just watching a little little YouTube, little history stuff. Well, but you, I mean, you like to watch all of the like model building channels like um, Studson Studios. Oh, yeah, Studson's great. Plasmo. Um, yeah. Slightly different. Uh, North of the Border is another model building channel that Lauren and I have been watching. It's similar to Studson, maybe not quite as cleverly edited. It's still pretty entertaining, though. Well, uh, have you guys been watching Great British Bake Off as well? Lauren does. Well, and just by osmosis, I pick it up. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, Joel, do you do you watch it or no? I have seen bits and pieces of like three episodes. Oh, okay. Well, you guys are totally lost, but I'm pretty sure Jurgen or Giuseppe's going to win because they're the best. I mean, period. it's it's just a microcosm of Europe. All of Europe showed up, and Germany is just taking the by storm. I mean, he's won Star Baker three times in a row. I'll take your word for well, it. Well, not three times in a row, but three times this season, and that's generally pretty rare. I, he's pretty. I, there was an. The episode that Lauren was watching, I think last night or the night before, they were like stacking cakes. I don't, I don't know baking, um, and like stuff was collapsing, and a lady like forgot to set a timer on her oven, and it was just sheer panic. Oh, that was, I think that was two episodes ago, and yes, that was that that whole episode was just a total nightmare. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like when I go into the kitchen, I have a recipe that somebody else made, and they've done it, and it obviously must work. So if I mess this up, it is my fault, and these people. <laughs> are just like they have been given a task with not nearly enough time to complete it and they are panicking and I am sitting on the couch and like, how did you forget that timer? What is wrong with you? Who, what kind of amateur show is this? <laughs> I would well, well, burn the whole place down. If I was the there. They're all amateur bakers. But anyways, oh, I, they're I way beyond being an amateur. They're yeah, not amateur bakers. So it, that's kind of the whole shtick of the show is that like they're, they've never been professional bakers. However, <laughs> they, they do have to go through a relatively rigorous test to make sure that they can at least hold their own on the show against other amateur bakers. I mean, the one, I don't know which, I think it was probably Jurgen. They had to make like a sugar dome. And yeah. every other dome looked like I would expect if you have to melt sugar and create it into a dome. And little, his little was frosty. His it, looked like gla- like a, a professional glass maker yes. made this. It was I, so clear. It, it, is, it is exactly what you could expect out of German precision. Sure. Why not? Anyways, <laughs> so on that note... I think it's time to move forward. We have a little appetizer. Let's move forward into maybe a little bit of the uh, the meatier part of the show. No? You really like using the an- an- analogy. We are for just meat. talking about a baking show. Can I use food analogies? <laughs> Anyways, so jumping forward, Joel, you want to give us maybe a little rundown on the format here? Right. So we're going to break down two films for you this episode. We're going to talk about Ghostbusters, released in 1984, and the sequel Ghostbusters Two. We're going to be going through 1989, 1989. We're going to be going through each of those sequentially spoiler free. Then we're going to go into an intermission past the spoiler wall. We're going to break down each one point by point and uh, of what we made, like why we made the the choices that we did for the rating and everything like that. Yeah, how the score was achieved. Yes. Basically. And, and the reason why we're doing this is because Ghostbusters Afterlife is coming out very soon oh man i could have brought that up and, and what am i looking forward to because i am looking forward to that honestly. I, I am too and you, you'll find out why but the 
the the main thing is is that we wanted to cover the first two films before we covered the new film. Yeah, so essentially right. we have a two part series, and the next episode will be on Afterlife. Yep. So Correct. yeah. So Joel. So that was the format. Correct. So now that we've discussed how the format's going to work, let's just jump right in. <laughs> yeah. So for Ghostbusters the first, we collectively gave it a score of eight point two out of ten. There was a little bit of disagreement. I did my best to bring the score down as hard as I possibly could, but drill, baby drill. it survived my assassination attempt at a relatively high score. Now, now, garden deformed. now there, there is a little bit of a, an asterisk caveat there is that Joel had really only seen the first Ghostbusters maybe one time yeah. throughout his entire life. And Ooh. Steven and I had watched it. I mean, like we are, pretty much grew up with it. I, mean, I feel, are, are I feel you like old? you're sabotaging your, your yeah. own case because you're like nostalgia played a role. Well, yeah, no, are no. you <laughs> implying a nostalgia bias here? Are I, you, I, are you putting a nostalgia bias on me? There, there absolutely could real. be a nostalgia bias. Oh, there is. It is. Um, absolutely. But yeah, so just, just as, as that kind of thing. Anyways, Ghostbusters two, Ghostbusters. The second did not survive the assassination. No. attempt <laughs> and Came out at a 5.2 collectively. I, I'm pretty sure we all, kind of we're on the same page for that one roughly speaking yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't think any one of us brought it up or brought it down collectively we all not really we're, we're all basically in agreement there so it's the first one is a cult classic right like you no you, it's not even a cult no, classic it's, it's just a, a classic. classic it was the it's a highest, cult classic if you're not in the cult it was the highest <laughs> grossing comedy movie until home alone came out okay yeah i mean it it's, it's, a, it's a substantial amount of okay. pop culture I, I i retract my label <laughs> joel who only saw this movie once until watching it the it's other just day. such a cult classic i just thought i just thought i wasn't in the cult <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's possible you weren't but maybe the cult is just the general public <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, yeah but the second film is not widely regarded as being as good so that is also reflected. It was it was deemed a critical and financial failure. It was despite actually yeah. doing really well at the box office whenever it first came out. I mean, it was not that far off what Ghostbusters first one made. Yeah, so the first Ghostbusters made just shy of three hundred million on its box office run, mm-hmm. and then the second Ghostbusters made around two hundred and thirty million. I think it was actually more like two sixty. It really wasn't. It, it wasn't that far off, but for what the expectations right. were going into it. And the budget that they that they set for it and everything like that, they did consider it a financial failure. Yeah, I don't I don't actually believe the production budget for two was significantly higher than one. A, a lot of what you see in the improvement of effects, which we'll get into, was just kind of a product of the passage of time. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think it was the expectation. The first Ghostbusters was absolute smash surprise hit. How could the second one possibly not follow up with that? And then it didn't. And then it didn't. Yeah. Right. So uh, do we need to give, it's, it's almost 40 years old movie. Do we need to give a synopsis? So these guys form a business to hunt ghosts for money. Nailed and it. hijinks ensue. Nailed it. <laughs> and in the second movie. These guys reform their business to hunt ghosts for money and hijinks ensue. Nailed it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> So you would think with a 30-year-old movie set that we wouldn't have to worry about a spoiler wall. However, here we are, and we're giving you that warning now. So, you know, we have this intermission coming up. This is your chance. If you come back 
then I can't help Get you. Get off the bus the now while you still can. What is the speed? This isn't speed. This is a Ghostbusters. Speed was in the 90s. This is 89 and 84. The, the 90s are still 30 years ago. Don't say that. <laughs> but before we head into the intermission, if you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. Thanks. We are back from a very brief intermission. Time to get into some deep digging, spoiler heavy talk of movies that are more than three decades old. Yeah. Um, one is older than me and one is slightly younger than me. Yes, I, w- I was born right in the middle. That That is a true statement. So guys, uh, let's, let's just jump right into it. Ghostbusters 1, right? We yeah. gave that an 8.2 combined. Yep. So we're going to run down a so couple we, of categories. We need to figure out where the hole is of why this is not a 9.5 or above. the perfect paragon of a film. I mean, it's up there. It is, it is, it is up there. I've got, it, I've got some holes. Okay, that's fine. We can, get, we can get into the holes here in just a second. However, I will note that this movie and Raiders of the Lost Ark are definitely considered very close to the perfect films by you. for entertainment purposes no, 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 that's an internet that's no, not th- that's like just a thing that's a standard like like that's like your you opinion can, man <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely go look that up that's Somewhere. like somebody else's opinion man absolutely all media is subjective and every every score that we give this is just an aggregate score so what between is all of so us what is what is the perfect film anyway if it's all subjective whatever people think it is anyway entertainment moving off of this never-ending pit of despair (laughs) so we've got four scoring categories that go into our total score so we're looking at the spectacle the performance the score music and the plot those are the factors that go into these scores and the scores that we assign to them feed into that 8.2 so i guess Mm -hmm. let's uh let's take the first one spectacle yep right and I'm going to start it first yep. because I'm going to take all the good points and leave you all in the dust. So I gave it an eight. Uh, the effects did not age well. No. The special effects. Whoa. No, no, no. They did not age well. That's not an indisputable thing. The practical effects, right? When they when they shoot something, they're trying to hit Slimer and they're blasting pieces everywhere. The actual, that bit, that's really believable because that was stuff actually blowing up. The, the superimposed laser beam that they rushed to get done that they couldn't use ILM for don't hold up great, especially on a high definition uh, I, ILM TV. is industrial light and magic for those that don't understand the un, the uninitiated, yes. yes. Um, but they don't they don't hold up well. But I, I will say the overall scale of, of the events fit really well with kind of, again, the spectacle, right? This is This is New York. And it very emphatically feels like New York, even though a lot of the backgrounds are just painted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Joel? So, I gave it a 5 out of 10 for Ooh. Spectacle. Brutal, brutal. The special effects did not hold up well. And I tried to give cut it some slack, you know, because it's yeah, an older course. film, not dealing with the... The technology was not mature that they were dealing with. And... But it, 
so in order to try to cut it some slack, I was trying to find a good comparison point from the time. This film released in 1984 compared to Return of the Jedi released in 1983. And, you know, it's not necessarily easy to find the original version that hasn't been touched up. Oh, that's very true. But, yeah. But even comparing with my memories of the original version, they, there's there's not much comparison well, there at so, all with special effects. So I, go ahead. Well, so the only thing that I would I would say there is that the the time constrictions that they were under for producing the film was ten months total from start to finish. Sure, because they wanted it to be out in the summer, and that's not a, that's not an acceptable excuse. No, that, that just, is right, an acceptable like, excuse no, because they also couldn't use industrial light and magic. Because okay. they were working on Temple of okay. Doom. But just because you're not allowed to use the nice glitter glue in class doesn't mean that the teacher is not going to mark it wrong when she asked for glitter glue and you only used the basic white Elmers. I, I'm this sorry. Maybe okay. a little glitter you sprinkled in. Try to get off your fingers. The, like... Honestly, like all of the all of the puppet work and practical effects in the film were really good. No, no, no. The practical effects are fine. It's the stuff that had to be superimposed over the practical effects. Right, to make, like like to the beams from the proton packs. They're the, not great. The effects on the majority of the ghosts themselves, I thought, were just very poor. And so, basically, on that alone and like there was a whole bunch of lightning effects and stuff that was all very kind of woo. i thought the, okay whatever and the, so the basically was the just most on, acceptable of all of just on special effects. effects alone i i knocked it all the way down to a five okay all right that's fine i'm just gonna go into go this for it. uh i gave it a nine out of ten <laughs> oh i don't i don't think it deserves that high obviously i said eight well okay spectacle isn't just visual effects though it's I the energy it is the energy of the film it is the presentation yes. of the film and Ghostbusters does this almost flawlessly. I I agree because but I think there are other factors in it. That so are later uh, down this list. Well, and that's the thing is like I, I would agree. I mean, like I I would disagree with that in the sense of like there's there's nothing else in this list that I've made that would detract from the spectacle of the film because you have the charisma and the chemistry of the whole cast. That's, that's performance. Then you, I, I know but that also goes into the overall feel of the film. It does. And you don't get that energy. If you have a cast that doesn't like each other or spending, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really, you know, it's just one of those things. And I, I can't disagree that, uh, that some of the special effects just didn't really age well. However, at the time of making of 1984, this was still really good. Uh, I, I mean, we already established they weren't able to use the industry-leading experts for the effects. Yeah, but they, they did have people that worked at ILM. Sure, sure. I, I, I think, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I see where you're coming from. I, I don't totally see where Joel's coming from because a five really is <laughs> a deserved. Really a five far. is middle of the road, that was man. Brutal. That was that was harsh. Five. So like Joel, is, I took into account that this movie was old. So anyways, give him a five. It wasn't Dune. It was one out of I had never I just seen Dune. It, it wasn't IMAX. Return of the Jedi. That's literally what I said. Well, but you said <laughs> no, no. Hold on though. And I quote: "It wasn't Return of the Jedi, and it's difficult." It, it's difficult to find a version that hasn't been sure. retouched. It is, it so is a I subjective process. To my memory. Joel, how old are you? That That is 
Did you see that the movie is in privileged theaters? information. Did you see the movie in theater? I, I did either not see of either of these yeah. films in theater. Okay. I saw I, I saw guarantee. I saw an original version of Return of the Jedi ten years ago. I mean, Andrew's got laser discs. I have laser discs that we yeah. can watch. I saw it. I saw it on laser disc actually. Oh, actually, now I need to get the Ghostbusters laser disc oh, show so should. I can watch yeah. it. Anyways. Okay, so moving forward, yeah. So spectacle, <laughs> you um, disagree. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, we we definitely disagree there. I have a very high thing, and it's very interesting too because I'm I don't I've never been like a big Ghostbusters guy. Like mm-hmm. whenever someone asks me like, oh, what my favorite eighties movies films are, I never actually say Ghostbusters. It does. It really doesn't. It doesn't jump up for me either. And I have a lot of. It's part of the problem is I have a lot of favorite movies from the eighties. Yeah, there's a lot of good movies in that decade. And and when like. But whenever I think about it, I'm like, there's, I never have a, like, if someone's like, oh, let's go watch Ghostbusters, I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Yeah, no, I'm not like, going to Yeah, I'm never going to be like, oh, I don't want to watch that. Anyways, we we got a pretty, I mean, we got a nine, we got an eight, and then we have a five. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's about typical I mean, for how the scores go. The average, the average came out favorable, so. Anyways, <laughs> moving forward, performance. <laughs> I'm going to let Andrew go first. Okay, so casting, performance, you know, how the, how everyone acted, everything like that. I gave it a 10 out of 10 and oh, man. I'm like, this is, this is kind of one of those lightning in a bottle moments mm-hmm. where you have the best of the, the tenure of SNL casting, which is generally like, so basically every generation you have like a new set of comedy films that come out for the people that are working at SNL at the time or Saturday night live for, for those that aren't acronym friendly. And <laughs> I, I, hey, some people may not be familiar. No, no, fair, fair. But so you you have like Dan Aykroyd, you have uh, Bill Murray, Rick Moranis, like all these big names. Rick Moranis isn't an SNL alumni. He's not. No, Second City in Chicago. That's what it was. Yep. Yep. Same. Same as uh, Can- uh John Candy. Yeah. 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 Uh, but so you have all these you have all these people and they come together and they have such good chemistry on screen where they just they have this kind of vernacular that only they can get just because they're they're just so used to working with each other right and then you have the the actual performance that they do on screen for the characters that they're like Rick Moranis's character flawless. is just oh, oh he's just flawless. he's just so funny because he fits that that super nerdy Guy and he's very genuine, socially awkward. Like the start, the the beginning, early Rick Moranis, socially awkward, unsure. Yep, trying to be, trying to project confidence, trying to find ways to be more. I don't, I don't want to say assertive, but just more of a person who is actually outgoing. Yep. Right, and then it just collapses into him <laughs> once he's become possessed. Yeah, into this this shambling wreck of a person who, it just it's incredible, and that is an absolutely incredible performance. By a person who, in most circumstances, if you saw that person coming down down the New York City street at you, that person (laughs) is on something or they are actually possessed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and then I'll I'll have to also mention Sigourney Weaver, who had just come from doing Aliens and Alien. Alien, because then Aliens came out in 86. Yeah. Um, And, you know, she was considered a, a serious actress at the time. And now she's in this weird weird campy ghosting movie i mean she i mean she auditioned for this and uh, according to uh you know the the 
Ghostbusters trivia, right? Yeah. She sold it. Her her audition was the transformation of her character into the ghost dog, the dog. Yeah. So she did like this whole like writhing, barking, growling, <laughs> aggressive thing. And Reitman was just like, yep, that sold. <laughs> that, that's, I, yep, I believed sure. it. Because, I mean, it is one of those things. Where I gave, I also, uh, I gave a 10. Okay. Just to get that out of the way so that Joel can drag it down. <laughs> um <laughs> But that is one of the things, right? Speaking of like a serious actor, yeah. I mean, you you gave you made Sigourney Weaver look into the eyes of Bill Murray and say, "Go through the Gozerian, the destroy." I mean, it's just a babble of words, and just, just yep, she's possessed. That is, don't want none of that. Nope, sure don't. <laughs> uh, but no, I just kind of to echo you. This is these are eighties comedy. Just legends. legends at their peak. Yeah, and this is this is Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and H- Harold Ramis. But funny enough, it almost didn't happen. Yep. Uh, when Dan Aykroyd wrote it, Belushi is who he had tapped for. Oh, you're right. The lead, and then I, I think Belushi passed away he, before they started. He, he OD'd prior to that, so there had there were some. Uh, searching moments and bill murray expressed interest and it was like oh yes perfect yeah uh, we'll, we'll do it uh i don't know it's it's kind of always been presented as a tribute i don't know if it's really a tribute or not but slimer's uh representation is supposed to kind of look like belushi oh really yeah i, mean, I, kinda, I, I didn't kind of see it in the like animal house yeah yeah comparisons but i, I don't know if that's really a tribute or not but <laughs> anyways i, I 10 I, everybody there's there is no single performance that i can point to in this movie and say yeah that's lackluster yeah that didn't come through i i didn't feel that i didn't yeah i mean they they just had such they had such a good such a good feeling even um uh, i can't remember the actor's name but the the guy who played the epa uh guy that um, the the antagonist essentially walter atherton or something like that uh, yeah peck peck is is the and he he was such a good mean character well, that, just that, that just the, foils the petty the petty governmental jerk <laughs> yep. right i think you were looking it up did i get it right very close it was the actor's name is william atherton and the william character atherton. is walter, walter peck. peck walter yep. peck. i you know what i was closer than either of y'all how about that okay <laughs> so, okay so, Joel, so so i've been quiet yeah, oh, yeah. very <laughs> silent I, I wanted you to have your words oh no <laughs> oh no and i'm actually going to back them up oh, oh yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on the whole i I thought that particularly Sigourney Weaver's performance elevated the entire piece. Absolutely. Right? She was given this just hokey, hokey part and brought quality and dedication to it. And it was a really, really good result. I mean, she she sold out in basically every single scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're, well, you didn't give us a score. Oh, the score was seven, seven out of ten. Oh, my. Oh my. That's... Acceptable. I'm going to echo you and your great I'm trying, okay, and back no, no, no. you up. I'm trying, to do, I'm trying to do the sandwich. I'm trying to do the, oh. the compliment sandwich. All right, well, let's, well, all right, well, let's hear some <laughs> So we've had the good thing. The bad thing, I did I did not like um, Bill Murray's performance really at all. And part of it has to do with the writing. And part of it has to do with probably the direction. Um, I'm not really certain that I can lay any of it at Bill Murray's feet directly, but you on the side of the screen that I am, I can't differentiate those things in the final result. Is it because he's a creep? 
It's well, it's it's partly because he's a creep. It's partly because but he sold it, right? You believe that he was a creep. I believed he was a creep sometimes. I believe he was a creep the whole time. No, no, no. But but there's also <laughs> the issue that there are scenes where he should have been terrified, in which comparable scenes later he was terrified, but they played it off for laughs instead, and so there is a complete and utter lack of internal consistency for the character. I disagree. I disagree entirely. He is always a coward throughout. And whether or not he shows fear and all the way up to the very end of the movie, right? The marshmallow man explodes and everyone is buried in what was actually shaving green, but marshmallow. Mm -hmm. And they come together to see, oh, are you all right? Are you all right? right?" And he has nothing on him because he was the first one out. Yep. Right. And so like there there are some scenes where that occurs. There are other scenes where he is obviously talking to a, a horribly possessed woman but he is sitting there making jokes at her the entire time, right? Well, because that, that's his way of coping, coping with yeah, this coping in, incredibly weird phenomenon that's happening in front of him. Hey, his the girl that he is interested in is now floating four feet above the, the bed growling at him. It didn't. He didn't <laughs> sell that to me because he was deadpan the entire time, right? Well, and I think that, okay, so I think that's just his style. However, I will also say that Murray himself is notorious for just kind of showing up to this is true uh, to movie sets and stuff like that just kind of whenever he feels like it mm-hmm. and he is just considered an enigma and it, it whenever also, he just like if he's there he's there and if he's not well he's just <laughs> not there i mean the, the it also may just be that deadpan is the only way to not just break out laughing at the fact that sigourney weaver is being put through this and has <laughs> to say these things and he has to respond I, to it i, I so, do Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say the the other major points that I have are really in just the character writing for um for Sigourney Weaver's character because she ends up going from this dude is a creep, this dude is a creep, get away from me. Oh no, I have a traumatic experience. I love him. Right. I mean, that, that's a <laughs> right? classic well, story. I, I it's I, terrible. It's not good. It's just a classic story. Th- I thought that was just a very common thing in the eighties. It's a trope. Does, for that a doesn't. That doesn't. Okay. So being a trope and being tied to a time period where this film was in does not make it good. I didn't say it did. I'm just I, telling you. Yeah, it's a trope. I, I never said that it was a good thing. Okay. I just said that that does not detract from my score of the cast. No, no, no. It, your your scores and, are set. You had your time to speak. <laughs> and then the other part was. There, there's a certain level of being a creep that is entertaining to watch, and I think that they went time and a half past that. Oh, line. they went way past it. Yeah, and over it was and it was to the point where it was painful to watch scenes that he was in because he was such a distasteful character. I I, I actually agree on that. I I would put that more under plot when we get there, but I I agree. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's, it's tough. Because it, it's it's definitely one of those things where it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about the characters and their acting without talking about the plot. Right? Yeah, I mean, At all the of these time. things are, are interconnected, and you yeah. can you can take issues and you can make arguments for putting them in in this category or that category. Yeah. But well, and that's kind of why you have an aggregate score because everything is connected yeah. 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 to to what turns out to be the final score of the movie. So, moving on to score, get Joel out of the way first. Joel, what do you think? I gave it a seven. I thought that the the main theme is really catchy. It's really good. It's spot on. It's perfect. It, it's it will be stuck in your head forever. And the fact that they tied it to the I'll, I'll say financial enterprise of the business of ghostbusting, yeah. and it's in the commercial, and it's part of the lore of the world in that fashion mm-hmm. is perfect. 
the rest of the music in the film was fine. So that's that's kind of where I am. There. I, I will say that within the universe, the Ghostbusters went out and found some poor starving artists and found a phenomenal graphic designer and a phenomenal songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> just just boom, boom, one, two, punch, baby. Andrew, what you got? So I gave score as I flip over to it. I gave it a big one zero. A zero? What? One zero, meaning a 10. Oh, 10 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Explain uh, yourself. It's uh, kind of on the on the same line as Joel. Where the, I mean, the, the main theme is by, by Ray Parker Jr. is just so hard to like forget that it is it, catchy. It is super catchy. There's a reason why it was like, I think, number one on the billboards for a, a, a number of weeks. That is an unsubstantiated fact. I don't know. I don't know that one. No, I'm, I'm almost positive that right. it was. I, I just don't have exact numbers in front of me right now. Then you also have a bunch of other really good 80s, you know, pure 80s music to help kind of elevate the rest of the film during, you know, the big moments, especially whenever the the explosion happens from the containment field and all the mm-hmm. spirits and stuff are kind of going around and it's the it's magic kind of uh, song happening I, I think it's just magic is the actual name of the title of the song I don't I remember so. the, totally the artist but that. going through I mean just like everything kind of fits and it fits with the energy of the film and the two original songs even Dana's theme is, is still really good and I mean it's like music I think is the most important part of any kind of media because music is what really connects you with the characters and connects you with the story where if I'm just, if you remove any of those tracks and you just have them acting in front of a screen with no additional score behind them, totally flat. Then, then there's not, there's just really nothing there. Even if they're an amazing actor or actress like Sigourney Weaver Mm. or Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd or anything like that. But then once you add that music back in or you add, you know, just even even little tones and everything like that, it makes such a big difference Mm -hmm. in the feeling and and it helps you connect with that. And I mean, there's there's very little time in the film that I ever felt that I was bored because either the music didn't fit what was happening in the scene. Mm -hmm. Steven, I gave it a nine. Okay. Uh, I mean, y'all already kind of really beaten it to death, but I an absolutely iconic 80s beats yep mixed in with the the ultimate showstopper the theme right yep uh save the day right yeah perfect perfect build up to the end uh i i do think they did a good job outside of kind of the pop music of setting mood setting tone you have scene transitions where you're going from the ghostbusters and it's kind of light and boppy as they're kind of shenaniganing around Mm -hmm. And then it jumps over to Dana coming home to her building that is haunted and possessed. And we know it's haunted and possessed. And it does this looming shot down on her and the tone, the mood builds up in the music and you could feel the, it, it has horror movie aspects, right? Yep. And it's not done. It's not like it's a really dark shot. It's not necessarily creepy. It's purely music. And I think that is the part that sets it into that upper range not a joel seven score here (laughs) because they don't just rely on the pop music or oh we hired some artists to make really good stuff they Mm. also 
take kind of a more traditional approach where they build up mood and tone. Yeah, that's fair. In the song, in standard scenes that don't require the kind of pop, you know, save the day or whatnot in it. Well, and it's, it's also one of those things too, where like, because this is a movie about ghosts and paranormal and that kind of stuff, you are always going to kind of edge on the, the horror tropes, especially like the beginning of the film when at the, at the New York library, mm-hmm. whenever it's following the library and around the, the books and stuff are moving and the little, um, you, you almost get the classic. Yeah. In that scene you have, Oh, it's like right there. They don't quite step into that territory, but it's right there. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, you're like, Oh, this is, this is going to be, this is a horror. Movie. Yeah. This is a horror movie. And then, you know, then you go into the next, the next scene with Bill Murray shocking the, the, the college kids mm-hmm. and, and, you know, trying to hit on the other, on the college girl. But, you know, you, you have those kind of he was juxtapositions. Succeeding. He was succeeding. Oh, absolutely. He's a creep, but in that scene, she's at least <laughs> leaning into it. <laughs> Unlike Sigourney Weaver from almost the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, moving forward, I think we've said everything we want to say there. Yeah. Uh, so plot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to steal this one. We'll go first. Sure. Cool. Uh, nine. This okay. Nine. Yeah. Mostly because, and I think this, honestly, there are a lot of 80 movies, 80s movies, and this is, uh, this is selection bias, right? The best 80s movies are the ones we remember. And the reason we remember them is because they're the best and they're the best because they were the most tightly written and the best paced movies from that decade. Yeah. And this is a really, really tightly written, well paced movie. There's there's almost no wasted scenes. Don't give me that look. I can see you see those <laughs> I'm, eyes. I'm, I'm objecting to the word tightly. <laughs> It's very tightly paced. There's, it's a sieve, man. So many holes. Oh, uh, no, no. You're, well, you're looking for plot holes. I'm not talking about leaps in logic consistency in logic because ultimately it's a comedy i'm talking about the speed at which the story is told uh, and yeah that there, okay. there are no this moments is... where there are just dead lulls or it's just like there's one i can point to one scene in the entire movie where you could say well maybe the scene didn't have to go as far as it did mm-hmm. or, or maybe you know i mean if i really want to nitpick really want to nitpick there are a couple of bill murray being a creep scenes where it was like okay yeah, i get it he's a creep cool he's still being a creep all right we got five more minutes of him being a creep i don't need this much of bill uh, murray being a creep mm-hmm. to the, know that he's a creep but at the same time almost everything else it all compacts into a complete arc mm-hmm. and I, you got to give that props andrew you, you really want to talk so i'll give you the well so I, I was just going to kind of double down on that like the only scene that that in the whole movie that really just didn't that felt like it dragged on for me was just whenever he's going into Dana's apartment for the first time um, in like basically hitting on her while he's like investigating quotation marks. The, well, I mean, again, it was, it was the apartment. We know he's a creep. We don't need five more minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Creep. That, yeah, that was the point. only time that, that I was just like, okay, this, this has gone on a little bit too long. And, go ahead. Oh yeah. It, so I gave it a nine out of 10. Perfect. And but not quite. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, it was, you know, 90% pretty good. It's still an A, but I mean, the pay like the pacing is what I I scored it off of mm-hmm. is, and this is kind of where you know Rage of the Lost Ark is considered one of like almost a perfect film. Same, and this is kind of in the same lines because just because there are leaps in logic, it's also a comedy. But then it's also a campy comedy, so there's there's going to always be some leeway there. And the pacing of the film, there's basically no wasted scenes, and every single scene has the comedy comedic energy to push 
you into the next one or get you into the scene that they're in to where you either have Egon just making like these really just offbeat kind of jokes, deadpan. just yeah. super deadpan stuff. Or you have Bill Murray being a creep or you have Dan Aykroyd being essentially bullied by the other two into something. Or then you just have Rick Moranis just being just unfortunate in mm. his existence. So, so I have to say, because before Mr. C's get degrees over here, jumps in <laughs> uh, before he jumps in speaking of consistency, we had, there was one thing that as a kid and in and, and other viewings, non-critical viewings, I didn't really pick up on. There's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. So when Dana comes back from her apartment, right? And she's she's gone to the grocery store. She puts the eggs on the counter and they start popping. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the marshmallows? Those oh, yeah. Stay yeah, puff marshmallows. marshmallows yeah. Right? That's something that just slides right past me most of the time. But when you see it, and there are lots of little pieces yep. like that just scattered all around. I think it was really impressive. Again, we've mentioned it at the start. There's really tight filming constraints and as far as i know stay puffed isn't a real brand right they, they were not a real, a real brand, brand until, until right so like they made that prop mm-hmm. and lord knows they want money they had coke place placements they had crunch bar placements they had all kinds of well from what i understand coke was um i think partners i think with columbia, yeah, columbia pictures, pictures yeah, yeah. Too, yeah and they basically they just showed up in columbia pictures yeah. yeah okay fair enough all right so joel what you got okay so you're not going to like it, but I gave it a five. Boy, I, yeah, you know, C's get degrees, but not from this guy. That was just a straight <laughs> F. Yeah. So and basically, I, I hear the point about this is a comedy. It's not trading. It, it doesn't on have to be internally, internally logical. Lo, on, on internal logic. But I posit that dismissing internal logic and only focusing on comedy cheapens the end result. Because you are no longer being clever, you're just being funny. And you can be funny and clever, and it's that much better. So, I don't give it a pass for lack of internal logic. I mean, okay, fine. That doesn't mean I have to agree with you. No, 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 no. And the (laughs) scores reflect this. Yeah. (laughs) We are are attempting to save you from your own misfortune here, Joe. I guess guess with my thing is... I have a laundry list. I, I know you do. And <laughs> just, we just also have a whole other quick, movie. To quick rundown. Quick, hit, quick, hit a couple pieces. Quick rundown. Um, so at the very end of the film, the, the, what did they call it? Demigod, right? The, the, the destructor, the destructor goes or the destructor described as a demigod has the power in, in world, the power to enact the apocalypse, the end times. Right lashes out with the stated intent of killing our protagonists in a single attack and barely even like causes them discomfort like almost pushes them off of a off of the roof i I would posit that falling off of a 22 story building would be a little more than discomfort (laughs) did it succeed i i don't know that's necessarily irrelevant it is absolutely relevant did you see vader force choke anyone to death in that council, I mean, you did in the second movie. You definitely did, but in the in the initial council meeting, did Vader force choke anyone to death? Did Vader say, "I'm going to kill this man"? I mean, he was, Gozer said, "I'm going to kill all four of these men," and there was zero distractions. Now, Gozer asked if they were gods, and Gozer, well, then, but then, and then she said, said then, "Then die," and tried to kill them, and then gave up, and they were still alive. Well, okay, still no, that's, 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 that's not, not necessarily. Not you're necessarily. just making you're just making excuses. You're no, just that, making excuses. Uh, hold on, hold on. You just <laughs> want the movie to end with them dead. That, <laughs> that, that the world ended. Mm, 
That is not necessarily <laughs> just because she says now die. That is more on the lines of I am going to send this energy thing at you. And if you die, then you die. If not, then that wasn't enough. Okay. Well, I disagree. But moving on to the next point, crossing the streams. It's the iconic thing from the film, right? Makes absolutely zero sense. It doesn't because have to. Because they, I'm not talking about from a science point of view, right? Like it's all pseudoscience. No, no, like no that's it fine. still doesn't have to. But the, the it doesn't make sense in the logic of the film because they are always putting the streams right next to each other because they're attacking the same ghost with two different streams all the time. Now, again, though, again, internal logic, internal consistency, their version of crossing the streams, right, was they took an incredible amount of effort. They literally put the guns together. Next to each other. And basically force themselves into each other to trigger that. In which case, if it could, so either it can happen accidentally and whatever his name is Egon's warning makes sense and they should really be taking other steps or it can't happen accidentally. They had to exert a lot of effort to actually do it. And Egon's warning doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. You back up, back up. You want your internal consistency, right? They're in the elevator. First big assignment. Going to get Slimer, right? Going up, right? Mm -hmm. He turned, this is your other, one of your other points. It is one of my other points. He turns on the backpack and it charges up and they both sidle. Why do they sidle away from it? He says it right there. I really wish we'd had time to, to test, test, that we'd had a successful test. Egon knows at some level, conceptual, theoretical level, that there is some amount of crossing of the stream that could be catastrophic. Just because he knows that there is some point, whether it's a 50% cross, 100% cross, 3% cross, they have not had a chance to fully test these things yet. He has no concept of when that point could be. All he knows is it is theoretically possible. Uh, I, and, I, and you see it in the end. They have to absolutely force four of them. Not It's not one stream crossing another. Four streams have to commingle to trigger what they do. Yep. Right. But in the end, they don't know where that threshold is. You're right. And so the character that, that treating test. it that cavalierly. I mean, it's total with, desperation at that point at the end. No, no, no. no. That's not the point. The, the point is <laughs> earlier when they're treating it that cavalierly by continuing to just use the things without really listening well, to Egon, you know. it's, it's, it plays into them being irresponsible, non-professional, but, but, but this yeah. is, this is another level of, of non-professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Finally. And I just, I'll just throw one more point out there and then we'll move on. We obviously disagree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that the containment system, all it took was turning power off of the building to make the containment system, not just fail, but fail catastrophically and like explode was ridiculous because brownouts happened in New York all the time. <laughs> so, so counterpoint, counterpoint, he, th- they throw the main switch of power coming into the containment center, uh-huh. right? Con Ed flips the switch. There's no way of knowing if there wasn't generators further back on that circuit. Cause that's not the point at which power enters the building, right? That's the point at which power is placed into the containment center. And I, and I know I'm, don't, I'm looking at, don't, I'm talking to an electrical engineer and you're giving me this look. Get, you do not get, well, it has nothing to do with, with electrical engineering. It has to do with the fact that you do not get to defend a piece of a film with points that are not brought up in the film. Because if it's not there, oh gosh. if it's this in is... a compendium that you had to, or a comic book that a, you had to read on the side, right, then the film didn't do a good enough job explaining it. I mean, don't this get me wrong. so pedantic. They could have, all right, you know what? You know what? <laughs> Hold up. Back up before Joel wraps us up with a bunch of negativity. All right. <laughs> Compliment sandwich. Huge, huge, huge gold star, right, 
for the writing and the acting. We skipped over. We missed him. Ernie Hudson, right? Yep. The fourth Ghostbuster. Mm-hmm. There are a whole lot of science fiction, fantasy, even horror movies, but other movies that don't do a good enough job of giving you someone who will ask, but why or but how? Yeah. And he is the perfect character. Come, you know, comes in. I just need a job. I'll believe anything you want me to believe. It means you'll give me a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And then he hits the points of like, well, but what does that mean? Well, how bad could that be? Which does let them explain some plot. Maybe not how yep. the contain They, they get to explain the Twinkie. You get the Twinkie. You get the the concept. You know, he brings in. Well, what about Revelation? What about End Times? Does it not feel like that's where we're headed? Yeah, it like well, ramps up that pressure. It, yeah. And the reason why he's such a good character is because when Bill Murray or um, Venkman just doesn't care about anything that Egon or um, Raymond or Raymond do. Right. Whereas and and Raymond and Egon are on such they're they're on the same intelligence level to where Egon will mention something and then he'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the full protonic reversal. No one knows what that is. Doesn't matter. It's just a buzzword. But then you have Ernie come in and he's like, I don't know what that means. You should tell me I'm the guy. Like I'm just a guy. I'm the the voice of the the audience. Every man explain this to me. Yeah, and I will say that is one of those things, because we were talking about casting, right? Peak performance from everyone. That position was originally meant to be Eddie Murphy. And I don't I th- think he would have been good. See, that's that. the thing is I think that they do- they missed something. They dodged it there. Yeah. Because he would have just been another funny man, yep. another reactionary voice. Whereas Ernie got to be kind of the voice of reason, the voice of like, the, the oh, full oh, straight sit, man. Slow down a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing you said makes sense because in the reality, those were just made up words. Y- you got to give this to me in plain English. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. I, and I think that they, they, really lucked out with that quote unquote miss of getting him in to be able to play that role. So I think that we have covered everything there. Uh, Last score doesn't count. Very, very brief here, people. Very brief. We're going long. Originality. What'd you give it, Joel? I gave it a nine. Like I thought this was a very original piece. I thought that everything was pulled together in a new and interesting way. I haven't seen anything from it since that really harps on the same sort of comedic tones while dealing with supernatural phenomenon. And I'm really looking forward to seeing hopefully more of the same with afterlife. Andrew 10 out of 10. Let's see again on the originality. Yep. Yeah. I give it an eight Uh, again. It's, it's all stuff you've seen before because either this was the point at which everyone referenced to create it in stuff that's been made in the 90s, the 2000s, etc. Mm-hmm. Or it was the individual pieces they pulled in, the horror tropes, the comedy bits, and then mashed together in a really unique way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, really, really great stuff. So that is it for Ghostbusters 1. Time to jump forward five years to Ghostbusters 2. And we're jumping right in here. Spectacle. Joel, what'd you give it? Well... I think what we're going to find is that my story has not changed. I have just dragged you down to my well, no, it wasn't you. I'm pretty, it wasn't it you. was definitely not you. <laughs> no. So for a spectacle, I stayed the same. I gave it a five out of 10. I did not really feel like there was a substantial increase in the ability of the film to deliver on overall experience. Yeah. Okay. Andrew. So <laughs> I, Okay, when you're watching a sequel to essentially one of the the greatest like it's, it's action comedies, yeah. it's it's one. There's a lot of expectations from the audience, the the producers, the filmmakers, everyone. 
because you were like, well, that was just perfect. Now we either have to do one better or we have to at least meet some level of expectation hmm. for that. And I, and I think this was probably one of the bigger cases of the original cast and writers were just like, well, we're not really interested in making a second one. And then production company was like, actually we want more money. So sure. you need to write us a new one. So they did. And it definitely showed that that, that a lot of their hearts were not necessarily in it, Would but you, they did it anyway. Did you give us a number? I have not yet. I was prefacing this with a uh, spectacle was a four out of 10. Oh my goodness. I felt the pacing of the film was just astronomically terrible. That's for later. Okay. The, there was no energy in the film. That's valid. The, the special effects outside of one specific instance in the courtroom, which I thought was spectacular, just never really did anything else for me like i i didn't even really i didn't like the statue of liberty thing at the end like the goo stuff just wasn't that interesting the the graphics that they used on vigo at the end just wasn't that cool like it just didn't it just nothing yeah it was just the only thing that saved it was the the two electric chair um ghosts or whatever yeah. yeah that was i thought that entire scene was great so I gave it a seven. I'm going to be the outlier here. Ooh. Well, so, the, so, <laughs> so the effects were markedly improved and not just in the quality of the effects, but how well they, how consistent they were with the real world, right? Well, how well and, they blended into it. And they, they definitely had a lot more budget this time. Be- it wasn't a huge well, bit more different. I think they had a little bit more, actually, more I think time. they had less time. I actually think they had less time in this production. Uh, from what I saw, I, or it was very similar. I don't, I'm not sure about that, but, um, but they did have, I think ILM available to them. Yeah. Um, but it, it's weird. Like, I don't know. It's so hard to rate this because I mean, the spectacle of we, we made the statue of Liberty walk into the city to rile up the crowd. That's a spectacle. It, like they 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 it's had a the, cool concept. They had a hundred foot tall marshmallow man, and they had to find a way to top it. And they went uniquely New York. And and this time it's the savior of the city instead of the destructor of the city. Yep, yep. The little twist. Yep. I, I think where they really lost out was the scale. Right. Yeah. Ghostbusters one. This is the end times, end of the world. They're talking Revelation, the Destroyer, yada yada. Vigo's just a. He's just a dude. Just so a I actually dude. like like I. I had a problem with the scale in the first one, and I actually liked the scale in this one. You better. do. You tend to like smaller scale. Yeah. I think. I think you you generally can get better stories out of smaller scale. Well, I don't disagree with that. I don't think they did it here, <laughs> um, but I bought. I I I was sold on in one. This could be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. In two, I was never sold on. This is really that big of a problem. Mm-hmm. Just in in general, right? Well, there's no raising of stakes if the sequel has lower stakes. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't flow. So I we we got in there, we got we got our say on that. Yeah. Uh all right guys, casting. Uh Andrew? Um or performance, sorry. I I gave it a seven out of ten. Okay. I mean, just because it's still the same cast and they still have generally the same chemistry and everything like that, however it has been five years. So they're I felt like Bill Murray was kind of phoning it in for this one. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of his quips never really hit that hard. 
like they did in the first one where his dry humor really just kind of set the tone in a lot of scenes that were, I found really funny, but in the second one, he just kind of like was talking and it just kind of existed. Mm. And there was never really, especially whenever he was interacting with like the baby and Sigourney Weaver, it just felt very stilted. Yeah. Then uh, I don't really think, I don't think Sigourney Weaver was really that on for that movie either. There was, there were some, particularly in the climax where she's like wrapped up in the, the hose or, or whatever, right at the end. And she's just kind of like, Oh no, somebody do something like, yeah, (laughs) you know, and for her having come off of delivering such ridiculous lines in the first film and it, in putting all of her art into it and it being believable. Yeah. It's a very, it was a very different sort of performance. Maybe yeah. she just wanted to be possessed and she wasn't being possessed. It's like, this is not what I signed on I signed for this for. franchise to be. So, <laughs> but the, the, the shining star though, was Rick Moran is trying to be a lawyer. Yes. Uh, again, that entire scene the is whole just absolute the, gold. The judge is great. Yeah. I, I can't think, I don't know the actor's name. He shows up in a lot of stuff in that, mm-hmm. that era. kind of role. And yeah. He's, he's great at it. Uh, so I gave it an eight. Okay. And it's, it's weird, right? Because it's the same people. Yep. Uh, it's a lot of them still at the peak of their power. Yeah. And you're right. There, there are several phone in moments The the chemistry is not there. Yeah. They just, it just kind of lost a lot of the spark that the first one had. And so that, that eight is down from a, what from the first one? 10. 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you, how many points did you drop it? Uh, I dropped it two. So two point drop, two point drop. I also had a two point drop. I I went down from a seven to a five. So basically we, we disagree on where the starting point is, but we agree on the magnitude of how much it lost, how much it fell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just, it just didn't like everyone just kind of like, there's just not a lot of there. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what the real problem is? They cast a baby. They cast two babies, two babies, however many babies they needed (laughs) to represent one baby. The, the, babies don't you don't get emote right there are so many scenes that revolve around a, the a character that cannot speak cannot really emote mm-hmm. can't do anything like that it's so, either, it so, either cries or it's happy or so it's everyone yeah. else has to act around it yeah and you're acting around this but it's op- kind of like acting object. on a green screen mm-hmm. and it's, it's really hard to come through and the the most generic thing you can do with a baby is you make you know poop jokes right oh get a stool sample right that comes up mm-hmm. yeah and it's just there's or diaper jokes. There's just there's not much to work with there, and that's that's a plot I, I, issue. Yeah, but also it is literally a casting choice of don't cast a baby. Well, it's all. yeah, it's it's tough too because you know they 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 kind of tried to do the the bait and switch of like oh she has a kid it's probably Venkman's because they got together at the end but then it's not actually his mm-hmm. and they haven't been together for you know four years or whatever. Yeah. You know, but like that was short lived. So there wasn't really like any kind of like mystery about it. Also, well, I, no, I'll save that for plot. Yep. Okay. Um, so we've got our, we got our ribs in here, right? We'll yep. be good. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's fine. Score. Joel. <laughs> One out of 10. It, it was, they, they lost the magic that they had with the original main theme. And every single transition scene was completely drowned out with 80s pop music. And I'm not an aficionado of 80s pop music. Music I can't, with any authority, say that it was good or bad. 
but oh, what I can say is that it completely pulled me out of the scene. Definitely. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was totally Very different well. from what they were trying to kind of yeah. emulate in the in the movie. So I also gave it a one out of ten. Okay, uh, mostly just because of the the same kind of thing. It just you the remix that they did with Run DMC, even though it was still written by Ray Parker Jr. It just didn't it didn't have the same thing. And I love Run DMC. Like I'm I'm all about you know some some early '90s and '80s hip hop and rap. It just it just doesn't fit Ghostbusters to me. Mm-hmm. And I felt that it was too topical for the time, if that makes any sense. So, mm-hmm. like, like there are certain, like, musical genres that, that really last the test of time for, I think, like, movies and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think that that kind of style of, of hip-hop just, just necessarily lasts that long. And I know that music is always going to be a, a hard subject to, to kind of pin because it's just not the type of music I listen to. Sure. So... Yeah. Well, I, I will I will help the average up a little here. Uh, I gave it a six. Okay. And I mean we we were aggressing towards the average, right? Yeah. It yeah. didn't it didn't have any real highs. It didn't necessarily have lows. It still sold, they still sold mood and a little bit of horror elements here and there. Uh, it it just it really really lacked. They never really had that big save the day moment. You know, like the whole. Um, I can't think of what the term is. Andrew, you might know it, but it's where the song is not background in the movie. It's actually like the characters are singing it. it yes. They're aware of the song. Mm-hmm. That You can't carry a, a scene with that. It doesn't necessarily work that. You can do it like uh, Spider-Verse pulls it off. Yeah. Um, but you really can't pull it off like they tried to do at the end with the Liberty. Yeah, with uh, the higher and higher yeah, song. And they're, and they're singing to it and it just... It doesn't work, you know. If if the Ghostbusters rolled up in the first movie singing "Save the Day" themselves, it would just feel really scene, weird. A terrible scene, right? Yeah, they just didn't. They did not give it any chances to really soar and reach up above of what it could be. Because sometimes you don't necessarily get a great movie, and the score just sells it, right? Yep. And the score did. It just kind of was there. Yeah. And, and 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 I think that, like I said earlier, scoring a movie and like having music that that pairs well with what you were trying to show the audience makes such a big difference in how well your movie is received. Like yes. music is the most important part in a visual medium. Mm-hmm. Like, Which is hilarious to say. But it's, it's true. It, it, you, you have to have that connection with the characters yeah. and the story that they're telling. And just, it just didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it struggled. All right. Final, final uh, point here or final metric that actually goes into the scoring and then we'll get to the last one uh plot andrew so i gave it a seven out of ten i felt that it was essentially just it's basically just the first movie just again but Mm -hmm. with a little bit of a smaller scale it just didn't nothing was really that interesting they still had the same the same kind of antagonist from you know the government bureaucrat that's trying to foil them because he just doesn't like them for whatever reason and it, you know, it, it was just basically the same plot, and a lot of the the points that they kind of hit in the film just never really, never really went anywhere. And there was a lot of wasted space or really extra long scenes that just didn't really need to happen as long as they did. Yeah, truth. Joel, what you got? So I actually gave it the same score that I gave the first film. I gave it a five out of ten. 
And you did I, not. You decided the plots were equally the same. I did. I thought Boy, that, I that the scale of this plot was much more appropriate than the scale of the first plot. Like these, these comedic shenanigans leading into, oh, we saved the world is it's absurdist right in, in a and way like that's the, that's a style choice the, but at, but at the same time if you have these guys that are just they're just dudes right that have made gadgets going up against not a demigod who has the power to destroy the world but an ancient sorcerer that figured out how to preserve his soul in a painting so that one day he could come back and then he can use his magical arts to try to take over the world again right like that's a much more appropriate power level of an enemy for them. Yeah. And so in terms of just scaling the plot, I thought that it was much better. I thought that I actually disagree with you on pacing a little bit. I really liked the, okay, now we, now we have this clue. We're going to go investigate and see where that leads us. And that leads us to this clue. And it leads us to this discovery and figuring out how to manipulate the goo and, you know, step after step after step, everything leading toward the same thing where you had several different side plots with them setting up the business with, bill murray's character being a creep and and <laughs> other things all kind of competing for screen time in the first one whereas the second one it was all kind of leading into the same plot okay, okay. That's, that's, I mean, that's totally fair but fair. flip side of that there were still really big problems like i i did not like at all that the solution at the end of the film was everybody in new york is happy which makes the problem go away right like that is very unsatisfying and i understand that that's a style choice that is is representative of the time and not it's just not something that 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 vibes with me at all yeah that's fair steven uh six out of ten okay so so that's a three point full uh pacing is bad i i I get it (laughs) you like the idea that they find a clue the clue moves to here they find this clue it moves to there etc it took forever it, it took a long time for you to get into any kind of actual action. The, so the runtime of Ghostbusters 2 is only three minutes. I don't know if it's three minutes longer or three minutes less than Ghostbusters 1, but it's three-minute difference. Ghostbusters 2 feels way like longer. an eternity compared to Ghostbusters 1. It really does. It, it, it feels like it takes forever to get anywhere. Uh, I can agree with Joel. If you had flip-flopped the scale of the two movies, mm-hmm. the first one is you beat the, the the sorcerer who's going to come back who may be able to rule the world. He failed the first time, right? 1600s guy didn't cut it. Yep. So getting beat this time is believable. Mm-hmm. And now we have the end-time person who, according to Vince Clortho, has returned multiple times, but times haven't ended. But we'll skip over that massive plot hole from one that Joel just didn't ignored. didn't even didn't, didn't even, even catch up on him. He talks about three I should have been returns it, I, of man. I'm going to I'm going to knock another point off a of plot over. You here. can't do that. The score is already set. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they had the they, so they had the scale out of whack. Uh, the pacing is just it's brutal. You know, like I said, the, they they revolve so much of the plot around a baby, and so much of the dialogue has to focus on a baby. And when the dialogue is focused on Bill Murray, Bill Murray can quit back at you. Mm-hmm. When it's focused on Harold Ramis, he can deadpan at you. When it's focused on a baby, the camera just stares at a baby, and it just and, and maybe Bill Murray quips back. Maybe there's a quip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he throws something. He quips at the baby, and the baby has no response. You, the biggest thing that sold the first movie is the interaction of the characters, and you just 
drop dead weight in the middle of the characters and, and said, carry this. And they couldn't. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't possible. Yeah. And and the plot didn't really allow for it. The dialogue didn't allow for it. It just, it, it some of it's amplified, right? Coming from watching one and just double-headering right into two, basically took an hour and a half break. Yep. And, oh my gosh, it's... It, it was it, pretty rough. It's pretty brutal. It was. I was surprised because I, again, nostalgia reaching back. Ghostbusters two was pretty decent in my mind. I remember the stat. I remember the Statue of Liberty being you know moving. That was really cool. Yep. Really cool idea. And then watching it as an adult, you know, from a critical perspective. Oh my gosh, this is this is a slog. Yeah. So, it it, it definitely lost a lot of the magic, and I think that's one of the reasons why. Definitely one why Ghostbusters three was was scrapped back in the you know the nineties or whatever that they were planning on doing it. Right. I also don't think that any of the original cast was really interested in it at the time because of how sour they were at from number two. But I think that's also a reason why it took them almost you know twenty twenty five years to come out with something new and then it didn't work again, which was the two thousand sixteen reboot that they attempted right and then now they're trying again with ghostbusters afterlife which is a direct continuation of of the second film the the original the original universe ghostbusters and so with that i mean like we're there's really not much else to talk about ghostbusters 2 beyond just it just wasn't that good of a film faithful on a score oh yes not a not a it does not count in the total score but it is still worth taking a look at andrew four out of ten Anything to say on that? Nope. Nope. Just four out of <laughs> Joel? Uh, I gave it a nine. Um, <clears throat> I thought that it was faithful to the original material of the preceding film. It didn't build on it per se, but it also didn't undermine anything that it w- it inherited. Yeah. I give it an eight. You know, it's valid that Dana would be like, hey, maybe six months in a dating bill. He's creep. Moving on. <laughs> I, I, that's very believable. Yeah. You know, Ray is a, a cult bookstore seller. Totally believable. Yep. A lot of these points were just very, the, the fall. Uh, honestly, the most believable thing is they save the day in the first one and then the and state, then the, the county and the city sue the sues, crap yeah, out of them yeah. for damages and everything else. That, that, that was that was probably the most accurate thing out of like anything that that film could do because that is exactly what would happen. Well, that, you know, that theme carries into one of the greatest animated movies of all time. I the Incredibles. Yeah, I was going to say, I know yeah. where you're going with and this. What, what happens to the supers? Yeah. They have to be. They have to I be. thought I thought I was going to have to fight you there for a second, but I'm on board. <laughs> oh, did you, what, what animated movie did you think I was? Going I don't for? know, but there's so many, and I it was it was you were going to pick wrong. I could feel it. And well, then I said incredible. Then you said incredible. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's I all, fine. I mean, it's it kind of goes on the same concept of um, uh, Han- Hancock, Hitchcock, Hancock, Hancock, Hancock. Yeah. The, Will Smith. Will, yeah, Will Smith. Will Smith yeah. Yeah, yeah, where basically like he's a superhero. He's really good, and everyone hates him for it because he destroys everything and every time he tries to do something. Right. Well, he doesn't try not to very hard. Well, but he he's <laughs> jaded at that point. Sure, sure. And you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, like, I I do enjoy whenever franchises and stories take that and they they're like, hey, this is probably what it would actually be like. Mm-hmm. Is like, hey, you saved the day, cool. You just destroyed my entire apartment building. I need money, yeah, for that, and, and we will get it from you. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the reverse MCU, right? MCU. Half of New York has been destroyed like eight times. Yep. And everybody's just fine with it. It's okay. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. Just yeah. come on, Iron Man. Let's go again. Let's do it again. <laughs> Burn it down. 
rebuild it better. Anyways, well, I think that sounds like all the time we have for this episode. Well, hold on, oh, wait a second. Oh, I'm in trouble. We need okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about what we are excited about for oh, the new one. Oh, oh, you want to include stuff that isn't actually in the episode in the episode. You want to talk about Afterlife. Well, no, we there's really not much to no, talk about Afterlife no. except for just kind of what our, our initial hopes for, just kind of what we've seen with the trailer and that kind of stuff. Okay. Just because, you know, we want to have an idea of what we're going into before just so we can be wrong about it whenever we... Oh, oh, we want to do the there typical is... fan thing of, I want this thing to be in the film, and then when it isn't in the film, we throw a fit. I mean, well, sure. I mean, there, it's less that as it is. There's no time like the present to make completely wrong predictions. Exactly. You, you just used. I mangled it. Yeah, and I also did. mangled it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I got, half, on multiple I got, I got halfway through it, and I was like, I don't know how to end this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, Joel, you get to start. Okay. So I enjoy Paul Rudd as comedian. Yeah. So like that's a bonus. I am more excited about it now than I was before because before doing the research for the show, I had only ever seen the original Ghostbusters once, like 15 yeah. years ago. So now I... And he didn't even know Ghostbusters 2 existed. I didn't know Ghostbusters 2 existed. Like, I was aware... I forgot of, about that. I was yeah. aware of the existence of the 2016 Ghostbusters, yeah. but I also knew that it like wasn't in the same continuity. Yeah. So uh, now that I am up to speed on that continuity. I'm interested to see how they make a return to it and if they can make that successfully. There's stuff in the trailer about you see one of the little containment boxes yeah. and he fiddles with it and, trap. and a a you know a, a, a ghost pops out and you know pandemonium yep. ensues. And so that's very much in line with the funny hijinks moments of the original films, both of them really. And but you also kind of have an edge of danger and a little bit more realism just because the effects are on point, right? They're there. Correct. Yeah. So the, I'm, I'm kind of on the same line. I, I, I'm definitely excited for the new film, especially after, after rewatching the films just for, for doing this episode. But I'm also a little worried that they're going to lean so heavily into either bringing older characters back or they're going to lean really heavily into just, hey, this is nostalgia. You know, you like nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Remember who we're who we're going for? This is for all you millennials that also like nostalgia. <laughs> you know, and I worry about them just leaning so hard into it that there's really not going to be any actual substance to the movie. And it's just going to be just kind of like the greatest hits of what Ghostbusters or of what they think that we think needs to be in ghostbusters yeah i feel like that that would be an easy trap for them to fall into and that is that's my <sighs> biggest worry about it just because like i want it to be good and i want it to be a continuation of the story and not just a retread of oh well you know i you remember you like the you like the the ghostbusters car well we got that mm -hmm. oh you like them you like them busting some ghosts yeah we have a couple of those too but just with new characters Oh, actually, there's older characters in here, too. So, Steven? Well, all right. Um, you just <laughs> soured the ever-living daylights out of the things that I was excited about. Before. He was like, I wanted to see them bust some ghosts in the old <laughs> car with maybe a couple of the old characters I mean, coming you know, back. Well, well, no, 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 no. We don't need the old The old characters don't have to be there. They can they can be there in photos and a diary or whatever, and yeah. I'm fine with that. Uh but no, like they have they have the scene in the trailer, right? With the, the, the car and the side door opens and they have the side gun. Yeah. 
and like that was in the animated show that was in the toys and it's like oh yeah we're getting this and you're like yeah there's gonna rely on this oh crap um, <laughs> no no i will say like with the upgraded visual effects and stuff that we have now i am very excited to see some some action scenes with like kind of like the whole suite of of ghost busting gear that, you know, that we watched in the TV sh- or the animated show that mm-hmm. they had or the video games and all this other kind of stuff. And especially I, I really like, um, I can't remember the actor's name, but the, the stranger things main character. Stranger um, things kid. Yeah. He, yeah. There, he, yeah. Cause he's the, he's one, one of the mains of the stranger things. Along I think it's me. just him. I thought there was another one, but maybe not. man, their whole, their whole early career is just trading on eighties nostalgia. I mean, yes. <laughs> well, but the thing is, a, a Stranger Things is kind of Ghostbusters from a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, they they cosplay Ghostbusters in the second season. They so, do, which yes. is hilarious. But anyways, so I, I am interested to see that kind of mashed up. The the more comedic timing yeah. that you get in Ghostbusters with kind of the Stranger Things approach to the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is one thing that from the, the initial... Uh, release not like a teaser or whatever that we saw it was like okay yeah i could see how they could pull that off yeah and i i am interested to see because and i am reaching back into poor memory here but i believe a lot of the story result revolves around the gozarians right the gozer worshipers yes and because they do watching ghostbusters one right they talk about you know when when this whoever the genius architect was died mm-hmm. he had over a thousand followers yeah and then I think it was in one of the trailers, maybe an article. They've established like a temple in a mine. Yep, near well, where all this is happening. So it's an interesting way to continue in universe the stories that were laid down in one, that two basically doesn't touch. Right, one yeah, focuses and, on these things and, and it jumps and, forward. And that's kind of you know it's one of those things where as long as they expand on it and not just rely on that as a storytelling device, I'm fine with it. Right. Well, and I missed saying this in the plot. Something they did right in Ghostbusters 2. That some uh, other unmentioned sequel trilogies, they won't be named here, had an issue with. That they put some time in between the first and the second. Talking about, he's talking about Star Wars. Yeah, I'm talking about Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> but, but they put some time, they put some room to breathe, right? We've got five years between first yeah. and second. And now we're getting multiple decades. So there's room to breathe. There's room for it. You don't get the same thing like what you got in the original trilogy Star Wars where the characters had chance to become slightly different and you could see how they're different, yep. not just on screen, but it carries into it. Uh, and you get that from one to two. Yeah. You won't get that with Afterlife because in, in theoretically all of those characters are probably dead and they're only going to be referenced in, again, diaries or, or whatnot. So, yeah. But no. it will be interesting just to see the universe have that room to breathe in between. So just as a... Um uh um oh my gosh i can't even remember uh ray yes ray's character is confirmed to be in the film the like so at at the end of at the end of the um uh at the end of the the main trailer i feel like like that belongs beyond the spoiler wall no it's in the trailer he picks (laughs) up the phone phone. yeah he answers the phone he's absolutely in the film so we will we, we will have a little but that's more of kind of the old luke yeah, yeah, maybe. It's possible for that disaster. As long as he doesn't take the proton pack and throw it behind him, we're okay. Or drink Slimer milk. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. 
got you all to you. On that note. On that note, that does, in fact, sound like all the time we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Steven. I'm Andrew. And I'm Joel. And every spoiler was intended because they're 40 years old. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spoilers Intended. If you would like to join the conversation and maybe suggest something you think we should review, head over to Discord. If you really liked what you heard, you can also support us on Patreon. Links are in the description below. 